Well, happy day to you. My name is David Robert Jones. This is the Awaken Engage podcast episode, Confessions of a Claustrophobe, the real story behind my MRI. I don't like tight spaces. I never have. In fact, as a kid on the playground, I was one of those children who would absolutely completely lose it if I was on the bottom of a dog pile. You know the kid. I'd access craziness in a way that would have landed me a leading role in Mad Max. I still stop breathing every time I see a dog pile. In fact, a friend was recently asking me about going rafting. No thanks. I'm not a fan of water. Why? Being underwater has to be one of the biggest fears of a claustrophobe. You're completely and utterly surrounded. To my credit, I practice facing this fear in my in-law's swimming pool. It's three feet deep. Super scary. All of this is why my response on my pre-screening call for my MRI was so odd. After asking me 30 to 40 questions, the last question was, Are you claustrophobic? Here I am on the phone. I know that I do not like tight spaces. I said, No, I am not claustrophobic. Now why did I say that? I have no idea, but it planted a seed. Why are they even asking me about being claustrophobic? What does an MRI have to do with claustrophobia? I decided... Not to even bother looking up the answer. I had to do it. And I've been learning that I can deal with anything that comes my way, but I can only do so in the present moment. And in hindsight, I'm really glad that I didn't do any research. This past Wednesday, just two days ago, my wife and I made our way to the imaging center where they told me they were going to be using their new super-duper machine that takes even better images. The 3T, or some business like that. They used the word Teslas, I thought of cars, and on we went. After changing into scrubs, taking a selfie with my wife, and throwing my stuff into a locker, I was led to a room by three exuberant helpers. We got there, and they proceeded to open a door that was at least four inches thick, a sealed chamber. We went into this tightly insulated room, and there it was, the 3T. With its little table I was going to lie down on, and a smaller tube that I would be inserted into. Not awesome, but I was still in a great state of mind. They put me on the little table and told me that it was going to take between 30 and 50 minutes. Wait, what? And that they needed to put an IV in, add some dye for special images that would make the process take even longer. Right before they put in that IV, I randomly said, what if I have to go to the bathroom? Do you mean now or when you're in the tube? We recommend going now. Okay, I'll go now. Back in the room, I lay down on the table. They jabbed me a couple of times to get the IV right, and then they handed me some ear protection. You know, those little twisty buds that you put in your ears? It's going to be loud, very loud, they said. I put the twisty ear protection in, and then they added some more. Some very tight-fitting over-the-ear protection with headphones that they ratcheted so tight I thought my eyes were going to come out of my head. Then they put a device over my head and locked it down to the table so I couldn't move. I had not expected that part, but I was still doing really quite well. Until they put a little gadget on my chest. They told me it was a panic button. Just squeeze it and they'd get me out of there. Panic? Why would I need a panic button? Do people panic in MRIs? Should I? Could I? I think I'm starting to. Okay, you're heading in. Good luck. Remember the panic button. The little table began to move. Oh, how I wish I would have closed my eyes before going into the tube. Instead, I saw that I was surrounded by a cream-colored plastic very close to my face completely enveloping me with no sign of light or an exit. I hit full-fledged panic mode. I thought to myself, I gotta squeeze the panic button. There's no way I can last 45 minutes in here. I just can't. 
started to drip sweat. I was shaking, but my hands didn't feel like they could even move to get to that panic button. They were stuck by my side. I was stuck. I was trapped. And now I couldn't breathe. Where's all the oxygen? Are they taking my oxygen? Why is my throat constricting? Did I eat walnuts today? Am I having an allergic reaction to the dye? Why can't I get any air? I'm stuck. Dogpile. Mad Max time. (laughs) Oh my. I can laugh now because I've been so stuck for the last 16 months. I told my neighbors last night while we sat on their porch that this is the first time in my life that I haven't been able to outrun, outwit, outsmart, appeal, change, or get out of a situation. My brain injuries have been a lot like a dog pile. There's no getting out of this situation. Right now, there is no cure. There's no solution. No way out. And yet, I've never been so fulfilled, so fully alive, so full of joy, so at ease with life as I am in this season. Don't get me wrong, I have really rough days, but in the roughest of days have come the deepest sensations of peace, joy, and wholeness. Life is only unbearable when I demand it change. I wrote those words to my friend Paul months ago. As they spilled out in a text, I realized that they were representative of the great lesson of the season of my life. And in that tube on Wednesday, those words and their accompanying wisdom led me to right action. We always have the appropriate response for every situation. Wisdom. In that very stuck and paralyzed moment in the MRI, I had the right response within me. It didn't involve pressing the panic button. It didn't involve making the situation change. It didn't involve getting out. That's so good. What if that's true? What if we don't have to get out of the situations we don't like? What if we don't have to make life do what we want it to do? What if joy, peace, contentment, and wholeness are not conditional to our circumstances? That would be some good news. That is some good news. In the tube, still sweating, still unable to move, still having trouble breathing, I welcome the panic and the fear that were present. Now, much of Yoga Nidra involves learning how to disidentify with our thoughts, emotions, body sensations, beliefs, and feelings. Not dissociate, which is a denying of reality, but disidentification by welcoming those thoughts, emotions, body sensations, beliefs, and feelings into a space of awareness, realizing that we are not our thoughts or our beliefs or our emotions, etc. They are a part of us. They inform us. They have a role, but they are not us. We are not our bodies. Our bodies are in us. And all of these things move through natural and predictable cycles, birth, growth, stability, decay, and death. Every thought, every sensation, every belief, every emotion, every, every feeling, they all move through the cycle, through us, through our being. We often want to hold on to the good feelings, emotions, and thoughts When they're in the stability stage, we don't want them to move on, to decay, and die. We grasp at them. We can make a mess of our lives in an effort to keep them. And we just as often want to push away and repress what we think of as negative thoughts, emotions, sensations, beliefs. In doing so, we end up grasping and identifying with these things as though they are us. Repressed thoughts and emotions, etc., want to continue through their natural cycle and they're going to continue pressing for our attention until they can give us the message and move on. The practice of yoga nidra just helps us disidentify from the parts of ourselves and live from our state of unchanging wholeness in which all of those parts have a wonderful part to play. Let me say that again. The practice of yoga nidra helps us disidentify from the parts of ourselves and live from our state of unchanging wholeness, in which all of those parts have a wonderful part to play.
Now, I don't like being afraid. I don't like being in a panic state. I have a history of trauma from two seasons of PTSD and now brain trauma. I'm well acquainted with a life that feels anything but safe, predictable, or in control. I've tried a lot of things to deal with trauma, to get out, to get unstuck. None of them worked for very long. In the deepest darkness of my brain damage, I felt that I had to get out, and when I couldn't, I thought I'd have to take myself out. Life was unbearable. And then I met Barb, who taught me the practices that saved my life. They showed me that I can live a full and whole life no matter what. Rather, that a whole and full life was already alive within me. Yeah, that's more like it. In Yoga Nidra, we consider ourselves as unchanging awareness in which the ever-changing flow of life arises. Beautiful. Through my experience, I've come to believe that these ideas aren't localized to Yoga Nidra or any faith or religion. They're as universal as our breath. As Hafiz says in the same suntan, burn every address for God. Any beloved who has just one color of hair, one gender, one race, the same suntan all the time, one rule book, trust me when I say, that man is not even half a god and will only cause you grief. Hmm. And so, in that moment of panic and fear in the tube, I experientially welcomed the panic and fear as part of the ever-changing flow of my life arising within unchanging awareness. Hello, fear and panic. What is it you need to say? You've got to get out. Now. You can't move. You can't breathe. Fear and panic are present. They're present within me. They are not me. I began to use a breathing technique that I learned from Thich Nhat Hanh years ago in a book called Living Buddha, Living Christ. It goes like this. Breathing in, I calm myself. Breathing out, I smile. Breathing in, I calm myself. And breathing out, I smile. And as I did this, actually making myself smile when I breathed out, I felt my body begin to loosen a bit, to slow its production of cortisol, and to begin to secrete soothing agents into my bloodstream. My heart rate slowed a little. My hands began to have the sensation that they could move, but they didn't have to. A smile spread fully over my face. I still felt like I couldn't breathe, though. I went into body sensations. Did you know that we cannot, as humans, think about something and feel it at the same time? My thinking mind was convinced that I had to get out of that tube or I was going to go Mad Max on it. Intuitively, and as a result of living Yoga Nidra for the past year and a half, I went into the jaw, feeling sensation, then to the inner ear on my left side, the outer ear, the cheekbone, the nose, the left eye, then to the right side of my head, then feeling the entire head, and I would periodically jump back into the thinking mind and begin to panic again. I welcomed the panic, allowed the messenger to speak, and another voice would arise. You're really scared right now. It's okay. It's okay to feel scared. Fear's present right now. It's okay that you drifted to your thinking mind. Come back to feeling sensation. I then moved through my left arm, right arm, both arms, the front of my body, the back, both the front and the back, feeling the whole body, by this time, I'd relaxed a great deal. Periodically, I would jump back into the thinking mind and then graciously respond and move back into feeling sensations. I was still struggling to breathe. They haven't given me the dye yet, so it couldn't be a reaction there. I don't think I ate walnuts. So I went into breath sensing. Simply followed my breath through the body without trying to change it. I noticed the breaths were fairly shallow and hurried. I let them be and just felt the sensations. 
and as I felt the sensation of my breath, I began to slow down the breathing, and my exhalations increased, which naturally activates our parasympathetic response system. More soothing agents, less cortisol, more relaxed state. Then began to breathe in and out on my left side, then switch to the right, then back and forth, and then the whole body breathing. Finally, I moved to breath counting. Some points, at some point, I moved away from focusing on breathing and sensations, and I just fell into gracious imagery. I connected to what we call our inner resource, a place of safety and refuge that is unchanging, equanimous, secure, and whole. My inner resources developed over the years and was recently greatly informed by an experience I had while on a five-day silent retreat in northern Idaho. You can find that account if you're interested in the podcast So Good. So there I was, physically in the tube, but I was really back in the wildflower meadow, under the shade of that ponderosa pine, overlooking the rolling hills and forests that dipped down into the Salmon River. Seven Devils mountain range rose in the distance, snow-covered and majestic. Beautiful face I had seen showed back up, eyes aglow, face shining, smile lighting up the scene. Full of laughter, he moved into the meadow, caressing each wildflower, talking to it, laughing, and then looking over his shoulder at me with delight. He took several steps toward the Seven Devils Mountains and gently manicured their snowy slopes. He looked back at me across the miles and let out peals of laughter. So deep and full of resonance were those peals of laughter that the entire scene moved with glorious delights. Greens became greener, blues bluer. The trees danced, the flowers showed their faces, smiling brightly, singing a song. The hills undulated, the clouds embraced one another, the sun glowed. I smiled uncontrollably and laughed with them deeply. Please hold still in there so the image isn't blurry, came a voice through the headphones on my head. I continued to smile. He then moved toward me, a giant, but not really. In a step or two, so light-footed that no particle was disturbed, he was next to me. He told me that he had a story to tell the world. He moved his hands into my head and onto my brain. He gently but firmly slipped his fingers between the tissue of the brain and a harder outer substance that was between the brain and the skull. With some force, he began popping away the substance. I could feel it loosening, popping out, and eventually he dislocated it and lifted it away. He then took my brain in his hands looked at me with kind eyes, a bright smile, and laughed as he took several huge steps away toward the Salmon River in the distance. I could see him bend down to the river on one knee with my brain in his hands. He rinsed that brain through the river, lifting it out of the river, running his fingers through its folds, rinsing it again, running fingers through folds, over and over. I could somehow feel this while watching. Satisfied with his work, he looked toward me while on one knee, laughed deeply again, setting off joy throughout the natural scene, then rose and was back with me. He gently placed my brain back into its place, working it around with his fingers, then began to massage my head. I could feel his touch throughout my body. Tears began to run down my face. Does this mean I'm healed? I asked him. Hmm. It means you don't have to get out to be healed, he laughed. You've never really been stuck. I've always been right here with you. Nothing needs to change. You are already healed. I continued to breathe in the scene with tears of gratitude in my eyes, taking deep, sweet breaths and feeling as though I was in complete spaciousness. They told me through the headphones, 
I had one final two-minute image, and then we would be finished. A strong sense of love and peace moved within me throughout those two minutes. I almost didn't want them to disturb me. It was just so good. They hit their buttons to bring me out of the tube, and by the look on their faces, they didn't know how to respond to the look on mine. We all just sort of smiled at one another. No words needed. They walked me into the changing room where I met my wife, Emily. You look like you just got a massage, she said. How are you so calm? I love it. Nothing needs to change in order for us to live full and whole and complete lives. Life is only unbearable when we demand a change. Was I cured during the MRI? Did I have a brain tumor and have it removed by the friendly giant during the MRI? I have no clue. That would be pretty cool. The results came back yesterday that I have a normal brain. Such good news. All my symptoms are still here today, though. Dizziness, headaches, nausea, sense in my left eye doesn't see anything. A nice ringing in my ears as I'm recording this. I guarantee you people could hear if they were here, but they really couldn't. It's that loud. I'm typing this with one eye. I'm not saying this to anyone to feel bad for me or anything like that. But also to prove a point, I'm full of laughter and delight and joy in the season. And I simply can't help think of Hafiz's poem, Two Giant Fat People. Two Giant Fat People. God and I have become like two giant fat people living in a tiny boat. We keep bumping into each other and laughing. I'm whole. I am healed. I am a healer. Nothing in life needs to change for that to be true. I'll let Hafiz finish this off. There are probably about 20 poems I'd like to use, but I'll go with one titled Today. Today. I do not want to step so quickly over a beautiful line on God's palm as I move through the earth's marketplace today. I do not want to touch any object in this world without my eyes testifying to the truth that everything is my beloved. Something has happened to my understanding of existence that now makes my heart always full of wonder and kindness. I do not want to step so quickly over the sacred place on God's body that is right beneath your own foot as I dance with precious life today. May you have a wonderful day, my friends. Today. Fully present. Fully alive. Today.